one good way to think about it in terms of what certified seed means in the context of like let's let's take the gha fiber trial right is that we're doing the work to ensure that if you were to source the labreski seed from us every year it is in fact that variety whereas if you're if you're sourcing seed every year from a provider that's not doing the work to maintain that variety and produce certified seed Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Hello, hello, we're live. Oh, and we're flipped around. I don't know how to arrange us (laughs) the way that we started versus now, but hello everyone. Welcome. Thank you very, very much for joining. I want to give a huge shout out, like our video just said, to our team and to our sponsors um, who got behind everything that we've done and congratulate everybody for the success that we've had in the industry so far. So I just want to say thank you for all of your hard work and to keep it up. Thank you to Wendy and Eric for joining today and for everything that you guys have done. The topic we're going to talk about today is a hot topic in our industry, and it's something that really needs to be discussed. And really, I think need to get we need to get it out there. We need to understand what what it means for certified seed, the value of the seed campaign, who's behind it. Um, so please, I encourage everybody that's on. If you guys have questions, chime in. Feel free to. No, uh, leave a note. Let us know where you're coming in from. Uh, Eric, I'm going to start with you if, and hand it over for an intro. Let us know who you are, where you kind of where you came from. I know you've been in the industry for a minute, and a lot of people know you. But for those who don't, what got you into this, and you know where are you today? And then we'll hand it over to Wendy. Cool. Th- well, thank you so much uh, for having us on today, Mandy, and for this incredible platform. Um, I'm just going to make. One small comment before I before I do the intro, and I just you know it it is a hot topic, and I don't know if that was meant to be a little bit of a pun, but uh, you know that, oh, that's certainly is. yeah <laughs> yeah no I appreciated that. Uh, my name is Eric Singular. I've been uh, in the hemp industry now for about uh, a little bit more than four years. Um, I've been working in the seed and genetics uh, part of the supply chain since 2018. Um, I've worked previously for uh, well I've. I've worked for a company for a number of years that has uh, been involved in trying to uh, produce and distribute seeds, starting with two varieties from the Institute of Natural Fibers and Medicinal Plants in Poland, and that is uh, Hanola and Bielabreski. More recently, um, International Hemp has uh, started looking to expand their genetics portfolio, and that's something we're in the process of this year. 2022 growing season was a uh, kind of a critical year for doing seed multiplication and working on pre-commercialization of some uh, new varieties that will give, give us greater coverage uh, across the, the different regions of the United States in terms of variety performance. Um, and uh, in addition to serving as kind of VP of communications and, and biz dev for international hemp, I've also uh, spent a year as senior hemp analyst for New Frontier Data, uh, which has been a, a joy to kind of get to have a platform to download some of my uh, 
things that I've learned from getting to interact with so many folks in this space and write, you know, little little pieces of hopefully helpful content about uh, market-driven insights on where the where the hemp market may be going next. But with that, I'll pass it back over to you guys. Uh, thanks, uh, Eric. Yeah, I do find your content useful, by the way. Um, so thanks. Good morning. Um, thank you, Mandy, so much for having us. Hi, I see everybody on the chat. Um, good morning to you all. I am uh, Wendy Moser. I'm the CEO uh, and president of New West Genetics, which is a nine-year-old company now in hemp. Um, uh, it's nine dog years, as most of us know, who've <laughs> been in the industry for a while. Um, so New West Genetics started out um, working on hemp with the 2014 Farm Bill, which initially allowed the R&D in states where it was regulated. So really, our story is half um, expertise, but also half opportunity of being in Colorado, one of the first states to have that regulatory program ready to roll. So on the expertise side, my two founding partners are Dr. John McKay from Colorado State University, who's an expert in um, genetics of complex traits. So traits uh, like drought tolerance that are controlled by multiple genes, which is very applicable to hemp because the cannabinoids are complex traits. Um, and then my other partner, uh, Rich Fletcher, led Cargill's canola breeding program for the last 10 of his 20 20-ish years at Cargill. Um, and that's very applicable to hemp, of course, because the um, oil and the lipid content in canola is, is comparable to hemp. And he worked a lot to kind of enhance that in canola. So our goals were to, one, get this U.S. adapted, which was a, a very big hole, <laughs> haul rather. Um, and two, and it's a never ending one, by the way. And two, to um, enhance sort of market and traits. So traits that would be valuable for the particular markets, whether it's on the grain side, the fiber side, or the cannabinoid side. So um, we've been doing that since 2014. As I said, we've been across 26 states. We're in four countries now. Really thought of this as, oh, this would be fun to do on the weekends back in 2014. And here we are with a, with a pretty big team um, working really hard. And I say it like that because it's harvest time and my poor team's They've just been in the field across the U.S. for the last five weeks straight, and I can't wait for them to get a break. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mandy. Yeah, for sure. So um, I obviously have a lot of questions, but I want to first talk about what does it mean? What does a certified seed mean? What is a certified hemp seed? And, and where are we as far as the hemp industry compared to some of these other industries in regards to certification and what is involved in that certif certification. Do you mind diving into that, Wendy or Eric? Wendy, wanna start? You go. No, I'll go. <laughs> you, how, how about you give the, the, okay. uh, the really science, the, the, the scientific portion and then okay. I'll give kind of the why. Okay, okay. Well, I like the cool. history side too. So I'm gonna start with that. So um, really quickly, Certified seed is, is um, the, the language around seed safety and seed law is in federal law. And it happened because back in the 20s and 30s, there was no um, sort of federal protection around seed. And, and we, we were in a time of world wars, right? And food security became a real issue. Um, yields were very low. 
uh, they continue to be low because people are saving, reusing seed and, and it degenerates. The genetic quality of that seed degenerates season after season when you do that. Um, so they realized, well, we need some seed stewardship. And it wasn't just the US, it was also Europe. So those mm -hmm. seeds that Eric was referring to before are certified under the European scheme, which is OECD. And we have reciprocal acknowledgement between AOSCA and OECD. So they wrote this federal seed law to protect the food supply. And, and this law demanded that, okay, we need an agent, someone that enforces that what we're creating is quality, good, stable seed. And out of that came AOSCA. So AOSCA is the organization that sets minimum standards for seed certification across crops, and it has member organizations. So there's about seven countries, I think, that are member organizations of AOSCA. And within the US, AOSCA is enacted through the local seed certifying agencies. So it kind of goes AOSCA writing the standards and then these local seed certifying agencies, it may be state to state, maybe crop improvement, maybe the university. Um, here in my home state, it's Colorado Seed Growers Association who actually come and inspect um, to see that you comply with those minimum standards every lot. Eric, anything you wanna add? No, that was that was fantastic. I mean, I think that if you think about Wendy and I um, being companies that sell seed to growers, the seed certification is almost like a, a consumer protection or a customer protection, right? So really it is, um, I think maybe at the, the top of the list of importance is genetic purity. So the work that we're doing every year uh, in terms of kind of field maintenance to ensure that we're not, you know, we're not over time getting to a genetic soup, but we're actually maintaining the purity of those, the what the variety is according to the variety description and, and all of that good stuff. But as a consumer protection, it also is that testing that happens after we harvest our seed and it goes and gets germ tested by an official lab and that results in these uh, lot tags for each lot so that when we sell seed, that law tag is a reference for the, you know, the grower customer to then know where the seed came from and what, you know, how, what the characteristics of that seed in the bag should be, you know, in, for, in terms of inert matter, in terms of germination rate. Um, and then, you know, for us, because we, we carry over inventory from year to year, depending on the state where your inventory is located, there are additional rules and regulations regarding how often all of those lots need to then be tested again for all of that same information so that then we can update those tags um, so that it's not just, oh, we tested it three years ago and we're right. assuming that that's the, the what, what was tested three years ago is not the same as it was today. So for us, with our inventory that's in Iowa, we're testing every six months um, for that, that seed that's sitting there. And talk to me about some specifics about what's included in that certification, right? Some things that I hear, and, and I'm very fiber focused, right? And so is it THC? Is it yield? Is it germination rate, like you said? What are some of those? Because now understanding more that farmers are paid on yield. Farmers are paid on production, right? On uh, Talk to me about how that plays a role in the certification. Certification well, is not, yeah, it's not a guarantee of yield. It validates the genetic uniformity which is an indicator, should be an indicator for better yield, right? If it's well adapted. 
So, you know, yield is, is validated through grower use, through trials, you know, whether it be university or trials like yours, um, that's how yield is generally established. Um, okay, and so yield then- is always a range, right? Yield is a range. So the value of certified seed is that it gives you, it gives third party validation that this seed has been stewarded, that it has been well bred which is not the case with the majority of hemp seed on the market, right? Yeah, sure. Well-bred means year over year of stability, demonstrating stability uniformity, right? So, so this is very, this is taken for granted in every other crop <laughs> that you yeah. know, the, the breeding is done well and the seed and, and, you know, indeed those tags Eric was referring to, if you put something not truthful on there, there's, there's a, a ways to litigate because this is federal seed law that regulates those tags. It's a very tight system. So I, I know what you're going for. You want to know if, if um, THC is part of that validation. And indeed, I was just at, and it is not one of the standards. And the AOSC is very cautious about releasing standards, right? They don't make them public. This is because it's very complex. It's not complicated. It's very complex. You have to have a knowledge of uh, seed, seed breeding and seed genetics to really understand those. So those are handled by, we understand what we have to comply with, but it's all handled by these experts in your local seed certifying agency. So all of the, you know, whether we make it or not, that's all handled by them. Um, THC is not one of the standards right now. Um, you can imagine I advocate for them to add that standard and <laughs> we go back and forth on that. Um, however, certified seed has to comply with THC standards through the USDA system. So I've every lot I've ever had has always been tested for THC because those states that I was working with was operating under the USDA system. What else does it, I mean, seed purity, right? Lack of weed seed. I mean, there's a huge issue in our whole country with Palmer amaranth um, with incredible weed pressure. So it's a really good system to try to control, you know, the issue of weeds and seeds. And that should be a huge motivation for people to use it because if you don't control those weed presence, it means herbicide, right? So, so certified seed is good protection against, you know, good protection and leads to reduction of use of, of a lot of herbicides because it's not transferring weed seed from one state to another. The guy's about to turn on the lawnmower again right out here. So oh, nice. I've been on mute while he's out, out here. Eric, do you have anything you want to add? Just one thought. So I think um, one good way to think about it in terms of what certified seed means in the context of like, let's let's take the GHA fiber trial, right? Is that we're doing the work to ensure that if you were to source be a Lebreski seed from us every year. It is in fact that variety. Whereas if you're if you're sourcing seed every year from a provider that's not doing the work to maintain that variety and produce certified seed by working with you know your local crop improvement agency who's a member of AOSCA, what can happen over time is that you know and I hate to draw this analogy, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways, because like in marijuana, right, there's the same strain names used all the time. And my my 
assumption is that they're not all the same. They just, you know, people like the word, the name Pineapple Express, right? So it's, you can get Pineapple Express here and Pineapple Express there. What Depends will happen on over time. Right. So what will happen over time is just like in, you know, with that, that uh, being really liberal about naming, you might think that you're buying the same variety year over year, but it's actually more of a genetic soup. It's the work isn't being done to maintain that it is in fact the variety that you think that you're buying. So a lot of the work that we're doing, you know, while it, there's, there is a lot of complexity to it. Part of that is just, you know, that if you get, you know, one of, one of Wendy's amplified, you know, family of varieties, or you get Hanola or Bia Labreski from us, it is in fact that variety that's arriving in that bag. Hey, Mandy, I see a question from Daryl Huddleston there that I would love to answer. Oh, look at that. That's amazing. You can pop it right up. See? <laughs> I like it. Uh, thank you for your question, Daryl. I want, I want to address that because it's, you know, cer certified seed is very, um, it's, it's fairly misunderstood. So I want to, you know, talk about the fact that again, review what certified seed is. So if I can share, really, Daryl's question, by the way, I don't know if everyone can see the question, how is value determined if there's no reliable downstream manufacturing to consult with on product initial quality? Such a great question, Daryl. Nine years ago when we started, we were knocking on processors' door, begging them to tell us, hey, what qualities are you looking for? What's a problem we can solve? Um, that, you know, at the genetic level, that would help you at your processing level. And honestly, no one opened their doors right away because everybody was trying to figure it out, right? So, and, and the majority of those processors are no longer here. So the best we could work on, Daryl, and, and we're, we're talking about breeding, right? So we're not talking about certified seed. We're talking, you know, your question targets end traits, which is a function of breeding. So not a function of what certified seed validates. Certified seed does not talk about the end use of that variety. It simply talks about the quality of the seed. So for instance, we do consult now with a number of companies, whether in green, whether in fiber, whether uh, cannabinoids, on what are the, the qualities you're looking for. So we breed for you know, particular lipid content, particular amino acid content, um, we breed for uh, looking at, you know, the, the bass fiber, although that's a lot newer and trying to get answers from the fiber community. How are you going to process it as well as what's the valuable content in the plant? What is it that's characteristics is something we all don't have answers because it's so new. Right. And what, what further complicates it is there's a, a number of different ways to process it. So. So we always want to reach out and we do to end users and ask, you know, how can we help you um, at the genetic level? But again, certified seed simply, if I can share, let me share real quick. Um, can I share a tab on my browser? Because AASCA really likes you to use their exact language because it is something that's um, you know, federally uh, in federal legislature. So can I share you can. Yeah. this? There we go. Should we also? Okay. So it'll, I it'll, to share. Can you see this tab right here that says mission statement? To, real quick, at the bottom of your screen, you have to hit the share button. I did. 
Hold on. Oh, there's two. You got to hit it twice. Okay. Oh, you've lost it. Bring no, it won't. Oh, shoot. It's going to make me leave and do it again. Let's try one more time. Okay. Ooh, did that do the trick? Nope. Yeah. Chrome has lost permission. Okay. Well, I'll read it. It's much more boring this way. <laughs> so I hope it. I hope everyone can hear well. So the purpose of AOSCA and Certified Seed establishes minimum standards for genetic purity and identity, as Eric was referring to, and to recommend, you know, what the minimum standards are for seed quality for classes of certified seed. It's very complex, as I said, but it makes sense when you're in the seed business. Um, so to standardize seed certification regulations and procedures and operational procedures in the interagency seed certification. So remember I said AOSCA sets the standards and then we have all of these agencies across that enforce those standards um, and, and enforce them according to what, according to those standards. So it's very uniform across the states and across all of the member organizations of AOSCA. Um, and so it's, it's weed, let's see, presence of weed, germination, um, and purity. So is there any excess dirt, right? Or excess matter in the seed? Because a lot of times those can harbor disease and, and carry things across, you know, state to state as the seed moves. Okay, so um, I, I wanna go back to the value of the seed and who it, who it really supports. What's it, what, is the, what is the goal of it, right? Um, knowing and understanding that the fiber being focused on the fiber for two years, two and a half years now. Um, what, where, I guess, where is the market going for the fiber also, you know, for certified seed on uh, towards fiber? So I know that that was a loaded question. So first, what is value the seed? <laughs> Eric, and who's supporting it? Sure thing. Who's so so value the seed is a, policy reform initiative that recommends that growers who plant certified seed should be exempt from the burdensome uh, sampling of THC and testing regulations, as well as background checks and just, you know, all of the exorbitant ancillary uh, fees and time consuming elements that are Detracting a lot of our, you know, call them traditional big agricultural operators and farmers away from wanting to grow this crop, you know, for, for the, our target farm customers, right. Which are corn, soybean and wheat growers. When they look at some of the exhaustive list of the things that they're going to have to, to the, the hoops, they're going to have to jump through, right. In order to just grow one acre of hemp. That's a, that's a big off put for them. Um, so Really, you know, I think the thesis behind value the seed, and then I'll let, let Wendy fill in the many gaps I'm sure in my articulation here is the work that we do, you know, New West Genetics, International Hemp, every summer to produce certified seed, to work with AOSCA members, to, you know, go through all of the hoops that we do to get seed in a bag for sale the next year. We're shouldering the burden of compliance and regulatory issues. It's, it includes THC compliance, because like Wendy said, while that may not be part of AOSCA standards, all of our lots of seed that are uh, produced here in the United States 
are tested at the state level uh, for THC compliance. Um, so, you know, really our, our thesis is why should farmers be, uh, why should they have to have the redundancy, right, of being tested for all these things that we were already tested for and have, you know, seed available that's carrying, you know, a law tag that validates all of the concerns that USDA and other regulatory agencies have around hemp accidentally being marijuana, right? Going, going above that 0.3% THC threshold plus the negligence. Wendy, over, over to you. That was completely complete. Um, yeah, so but the only thing I would add is not a mandate. We're not suggesting a mandate by any means. We're just saying this is one way to reduce regulators' burden and reduce growers' burdens. That's all. It's just a validated way to say, oh, you know, well-bred seed, if it's well-bred, which AASCA validates, should have control over the THC, right, which is demonstrated and validated by USDA. So that well-bred seed is a great place to start, and it's a great risk mitigator for everyone across the supply chain. So why should it be tested if it's, if it's already proven at the seed production level, which is what uh, we do? Okay. Um, who's, I want to, I've got some questions that I'll hold off because I want to get in. I have, I have questions about big scale and for fiber, the fiber market and where it really, um, so to think, but where it really, is this a, is this a campaign that supports the entire industry across our nation? Are there certain regions that are benefiting more? Um, are there genetics that are fight that are better in certain regions that are certified that other regions don't have certified seeds yet? And so we're limiting certain areas. Talk to me about some of the things that we're going to be up against that our farmers are going to yeah, question or wonder or how, do, how does it benefit them? Well, again, this isn't a mandate, right? So it's not limiting right. anyone. You can use whatever right. seed you want <laughs> still. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why we're not pushing a mandate because exactly what you said, Mandy, there's not a lot of good certified seed for that Southern belt. Right. Yeah. So, so, or that's adapted, I should say. I mean, there's plenty sure. of good certified seed, that works elsewhere, but yes. adapted. So, sure. so, you know, that, I mean, we would never suggest that because we want every, everyone everywhere to be able to try it and to, you know, try to growing hemp and see if they can participate in the market. So I would never suggest, I'm, I'm pretty capitalist. I would never suggest that. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. So yeah. Um, did that answer the majority? Yeah. Of talk question? to me about, talk to me about regions that are, you're seeing a lot of success, both of you in the mm -hmm. certified seeds that you're, you know, and that are, that are very successful, um, or that you're seeing success, where, where are we seeing the best success? So farmers that know, okay, where, where should I be looking at certified seed if I live in this region? Or Well, I would say anything from Canada on down. The, the problem is there hasn't been a lot of testing in the Southeast. So you have to think about how regulation has impacted the knowledge and data we have around production and trials, right? Regulation absolutely impacted that. So I would say, that's the the villain here, right? If states couldn't get on right away, the you know their university trialing or their crop improvement trialing really lagged because of that regulation. So I, you know, even when I said before where we don't think there's you know that many certified seed 
adapted to Southern regions? I actually shouldn't say that. That's not data-based. So we, we don't know because they all haven't been trialed down there. So we need to see them trialed and we really need to support your trials, but also you know all of those universities that have been doing this for years to roll it out because the more data, the better. And then we can really come to these conclusions. So honestly, the answer to your question is, I would answer it. We, we don't know yet. Eric? Yeah, I think on the international hemp side, you know, one of the, the things that we've had to, um, we're, we're all learning, right? <laughs> A lot in, in this space. And, and part of the, um, I think, reputability component depends on your willingness to admit the things that you didn't know previously, right? So there was certainly a time when we thought that these Polish varieties would, would be able to perform a little bit better in Southern latitudes. And we learned through trial and error that that was not the case, that these varieties that were bred at higher Northern latitudes when taken um, you know, closer to the equator flower prematurely. And you know, once that really became obvious to us, we we realized that we needed to um, figure out how to add some genetics to our portfolio that could provide us coverage in those areas and those regions because there is tremendous interest right in in um, for fiber in the south the one thing that i think you know wendy and i absolutely don't want to go onto a platform like this and and spend too much time harping about but i'm, I'm going to harp about it for just one second is that the um, it's incredibly expensive to co commercialize a new variety. Um, if you're if you're doing the kind of work that New West is doing and you're breeding varieties, that's even more expensive. But the breeding is expensive and time consuming, and then the scaling up of that seed inventory is you know expensive, time consuming. Things farming can happen, meaning you know you can be anticipating getting yeah, a good seed yield and and you know then you can have tremendous drought like we have the last couple of years yeah so for us at international hemp you know we've kind of determined that the uh the lower limit of the polish varieties is about 38 degrees north latitude we have you know decent uh we have good data for you know canada and the northern tier that's something that we're pursuing every year to get better and better data and, you know, we're hopeful that some of the new varieties that we are now uh, working on commercializing, while they may be, you know, a year or two or three out, and again, farm, farming may happen. So you can, you can try your best and your darndest and put the money up and say, we're going to do this because darn it, we know people want these varieties that work down there. And, you know, you can still fall a little short, can take a little longer. And, and, you know, ultimately, if we want, if, if the industry wants to have better varieties that are more well adapted with more, more desirable traits and characteristics, supporting the folks who are doing the breeding and seed production work is kind of important. I know that might sound extremely self-serving to say, but the alternative is to be growing the same varieties for the next you know, couple of decades. But if we want that innovation and back to Daryl's question, if we want the ability to innovate toward end use application so that we have a better chance of actually creating market demand for hemp fiber and grain and i think we you know there becomes an important important role for seed and breeder folks to play in that in that regard and that's where you know there's there has to be some mutual support right 
Sure. We, by the way, last the last two years, we've had our varieties at um, A&M and then one other university in Texas, and we lost both trials to flood. And this is precious seed for us because we are breeders and every seed lot is small until we get it proven that it works somewhere and it's worth the expense of blowing up production, right? So um, it's no small thing, two years in a row to have lost all of that seed and lost demonstration time in the South. So at, with climate change, it makes seed production even harder. I mean, we've definitely seen the difference over the last 20 years um, in agriculture through seed production. The, 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 you know, unpredictableness of seeing drought in eastern Kansas, you know, just things seeing flood, great flooding across the Midwest, more frequent, more flooding, really tough, um, risky business. Yes. Um, yeah, we saw the same thing even in our trials. You know, weather, it's unavoidable, unavoidable. and it's very real. The, the challenges that we saw uh, are just a reality to what farmers are up against and where risk lies. And so, um, yes, I, I support that. I saw um, Bill also said, I agree with Eric, I agree with you. I do have... Let's, Oh, here we go. Somebody um, asked, what was it? A hemp product manufacturer needs consistency in their feedstock isn't certified seed the way Facebook user. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. This is what we see in other supply chains. I mean, processors want reliable, stable seed. And right now in the hemp industry, you know, reliability and stability for us just saying it ourselves, it's not enough because we do have this black eye in our industry, right? We need third-party validation. Um, and, and that should give consumers some kind of assurance that at least it's past this bar, right? Okay, there's another question here. And I know that this is a hot topic because it comes up all of the time, um, but what is, or is the value of the seed similar or different from hemp exemption? And it's different, very different. Can you speak a little bit to them? And I would like to see, can't they play together? Like both? Oh, both yeah. A... I was gonna say, it's not very hot to me. I mean, there's there's no reason these two can't coexist. Um, you know, I mean, not... it, I'm, when I say hot, I mean, it comes up a lot. Like this yeah. topic is like, a, hey, this, you know, these are two, two campaigns that are, that I see to be very valuable. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they both can serve the industry. We have, you know, we, we thought about when we saw the green and fiber exemption, we thought mm -hmm. about, yeah, there is this problem with growers adopting, right? There is this onerous testing fees. How would we look at it coming from seed production, right? How do we look at it coming from a breeding gene and genetics lens? And one thing we've seen over and over, especially with the whole CBD debacle, is there was zero attention paid towards seed. No one valued the seed, right? It didn't matter. It was like, let's grab this cherry over here and this bough over here and let's mix them up and <laughs> use, you know, so it was just truly was the wild west. And so we say, how do we help educate our community on what, um, on how you base a whole industry on a plant. So, you know, we New West Genetics comes from an agricultural background across crops, and we understand how it works, you know, genetic up, seed up, plant up. Um, that has to come first. If you don't have strong, stable genetics, 
those per, those processors are not going to get repeatable seed, um, their repeatable product rather into their manufacturing lines. So it's long, hard work that's expensive. And, and I think, you know, that that's not our message necessarily, but we want you to, to understand our, our commitment, right? And our focus to doing this well. Um, so that's that's one way. It, it's sort of a different lens and it's taken with the, the lens of, yeah, we can make this easier on growers and regulators understand certified seed. So it's kind of an easy win, right? So, but it's an opportunity to help educate our community through platforms like yours, Mandy, on, on you know, how other crops uh, usually work through you, throughout the ag supply chain. So Eric, anything else? Uh, I would, I like to put it in the form of an analogy. The fiber and grain exemption is shooting for the stars. I think we're defining the moon, right? I, I am unconvinced that we're ready in this country coming off of all of the stigma around cannabis for an exemption of that sort. And I think that, you know, Wendy and I have, you know, when you look at the more developed hemp markets around the world, this is kind of the model that they use, right? Um, so the other piece of this is when you look at the food supply chain, right? So when thinking about Canada and how Canada is really a leader in the, you know, global hemp grain marketplace, and you think about how restrictive the um, varieties that they allow to be grown up there are and the, the rigorous testing to get your varieties on their list of approved cultivars, that feeds into their ability to play in a global marketplace, right? Exporting all of these food products all over the place. And of course, one of the things that we're not very material to the topics that we're covering today, but Wendy and I are both very, very invested in animal feed because mm -hmm. animal feed begets volume for this industry, animal feed mm -hmm. approval. So if we were to, you know, just go with a, a blanket exemption, there could be uh, unforeseen consequences to certain things like that. The other thing I will say is um, while we would be happy for, you know, any, anything that unburdens the farmers from, from regulation, I think the one challenge that I see in the fiber and grain exemption is how regulators will conduct those visual inspections, right? I think that that probably requires a little bit more sussing out because we've talked to the Colorado Department of Agriculture, and I know <clears throat> that this, this opinion is shared from a couple other state departments of ag. And that is that even if that exemption was enacted, the states could still impose a, you know, a, more, a more restrictive program, just like they can under all, all of the USDA hemp program guidelines. And so Colorado, for example, has said, you know, we would, we would still mandate, you know, only do the, the exemption for certified seed. And I think that's, that's coming from a place of wisdom back to Wendy's point about CBD, where those regulators who understand how challenging it is to regulate this industry, realize the value of knowing where the seed came from and whether or not the seed was validated. And if it was validated, it was so because it's certified seed and it went through the process that Wendy and I have talked about related to seed production. The only, the only so, other thing is, is, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Well, well the, the other thing is banking, right? And access to financial services. So 
while we know that some of the you know the varieties that have performed the best in trials in say the southeast have been you know non-certified varieties say from asia that have gone hot what we have heard because we do a lot of work on the business development market and demand generation side of things kind of back to daryl's question is there are tremendous players folks with a lot of money big agricultural operators who are really interested in using hemp even though they've seen the results of those trials say from you know down in florida where it's like yeah those Asian varieties work really well, but they tested at 1.2, 1.5, 2% THC. They are unwilling to put capital into the industry or develop anything until they have a variety that isn't going to do that. Because unfortunately for... Or exempt. Well, I think even then... They won't even get then, in trouble. The risk is not theirs, whether it be... Because really, what you're, what the both the certified seed and the exemption removes the risk from the farmer if that crop goes hot, correct? Yeah, and I and I think there's also, and I, I know this is like not a popular opinion, but I I kind of come from a media comms background, headline sure. risk, right? Big company growing marijuana, not what anybody wants, right? And and something is as arbitrary as oh, it went 0.2 percent above that threshold can get spun that way. And we've even seen that kind of stuff in California where it was like, oh, hemp hemp licensor was actually growing a hundred acres of, of marijuana. And now that has to go and be destroyed. So there is that there's there's different levels and perspectives around risk. But Wendy, I, I can see you chomping at the bit. So uh, I would say there is very real risk um, once we get into animal feed um, real yeah. risk to processors. So we, we, and where, yeah. where is that tested, right? Is that at the seed or is that at like the lab that tests for contaminants or inconsistencies, right? Oils. Um, I would do you assume, mean, what do you mean? Where is what? Where is what tested? Where is the risk uh, also mitigated besides seed, right? I would assume if I'm processing something into a food grade quality, the lab at some point would have to detect whether or not that hemp had a contaminant or yep. uh, like you said, a uh, inconsistency in oil. Maybe it was a high in one omega, you know, and yeah, another. you're right. You're right. Yeah, it does. It gets tested at a, at a lab and it it's, it's an issue still, even at that sure. seed cake, seed cake level. So yeah, on yeah. the food side, it's still an issue. So, um, sure. you know, hopefully we'll work through all that. Well, and if, yeah. if you look at the grain contracts that are out there, because there's not that many of them. So the, the few that are out there are pretty coveted, <laughs> but they, they generally call out the varieties that they really are interested in, right? In terms of what, what, they, what varieties they would like you to grow in order to, to be part of that grain contract. Mm-hmm. So, so even with an exemption, you're still going to have that, you know, processor being kind of the dictator around, this is what I will contract for, right? These, this is, these are the specs. And even if it's just a premium for growing one variety over another, I mean, that, that premium can speak volumes to volume to growers, right? Sure. Sure. So this is where I, I go back to fiber, right? Where we've been focused and I look at where market is pulling on grain, you know, it is not the health concern as much, 
right? And is there a way, and I know that in the fiber and hemp exemption, there is a cutout for certified seed, that these play together, right? Mm -hmm. That this be something that, because I look at these processors on a low, on say our lower states, right? That where the cotton belt is, and we're, we're seeing production, we're seeing new processing come in, and they need to scale acres. We need to be able, I would like to see, and I feel like in order for us to scale, we've got to be able to provide provide a way to mitigate that risk or bring that risk off of farmers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and when growing for fiber production, and, and it's not a risk of contaminants, or where the risk is for contaminants, it's there no matter what. It's in our soil. It's you know, um, and seeing yields, right? Like I've got to be able to pay a farmer a certain yield or a price. And if we're not producing because our seeds aren't adapt yet or stable yet, you know, what does that look like? And how could these play together to benefit both the cannabinoid production, you know, for CBD and the THC risk, as well as, you know, moving into a market where really certified seeds are what a lot of farmers are used to. If they're buying corn, soybean, wheat, that's a common thing. Am I right? And so not wheat as much, but yeah, the other ones. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not I'm not an expert. Sure. Yeah. But what I do know is when I talk to farmers and they say, you know, well, they plant corn and it's certified. And so if they see a certified seed, they're you know, chance are they're gonna buy right. that certified seed. If that certified seed doesn't grow in their state, but they're prone to buy that you know where do we where yeah. oh they have data so so they i mean there's certainly of course i mean corn we've been working on for 120 years so there's tons of data on which seeds are good for where um yeah. i love to tell this story that there's a place that there's like a 50 mile stretch in kansas where they've got four different adapted varieties that serve different purposes within those 50 miles they have the advantage of you know, 80 plus years of R&D. We don't have that. One thing I love about the hemp industry and I hate about it is they're always cart before the horse. That's why we have legalization and I'm grateful for it. But at the same time, our job, we would not be good stewards, right? If we did not emphasize how, how much work, but also how much value there is on seed that has been bred for stability, uniformity, and purity. We have to get there. We might not be there. And again, we don't have that data to say that we're not there. So, so, uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, Mandy, I do go back and forth on the fiber one because it does look so different. Right. So, you know, and it's dual purpose thing. Yeah, like yeah. Time, it's harvested completely different and it's, right. you know, the material is wasting or rotting in the field. And so, yeah. um, and I also look even at the grain side, right. For cannabinoids themselves at, at the grain side, at that point, it's a contaminant if it's going into a food grade. But I don't know the animal feed side the same. Yeah, I don't yeah. where that box is. And so, but we're I, yeah. Fiber. My issue on the grain side, though, is you can grow THC looking like a grain variety, no problem. So I that I mean that's that's done now. People do that, so they get away with you know use a hemp right. registration. They understand large scale ag, how to get the seed out. Just use that chaff for extracted products. Of course, it's not for right. beautiful flower shelf products, right? So, so that's my issue on the grain side. Um, but on the fiber side, I, I understand the argument. And, you yeah. know, I, I, I can't support it because I know those seeds are, those seeds are not bred for stability. You know, I'll, yeah. I've, I've grown those Chinese varieties myself and we've analyzed them and looked at them. They're not uniform and stable. 
Um, so, so I can't support using low quality seed, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah. Sure. And I, I am not, yeah, I'm really curious, mm -hmm. right? I like to see how we move this forward. And, and I appreciate mm -hmm. you guys coming on to have the discussion. And I appreciate also, you know, asking some hard questions or answering some hard questions, because I think that it's, it's important for one that we get the conversation started and going that this really is about farmers. This is about stabilizing the industry from seed to end product. And what does that look like? And, you know, where are we as a market as far as being ready? Right. And so, um, yeah, do you have anything else you want to add, Wendy or Eric? Well, I don't want to ignore Hector Gerardo in the chat has a, a lot of questions and comments. And I think he has a great, um, uh, something I can't speak to and I want to make sure he gets uh, some some feedback and I'm sure Mandy you have done some show uh, some episodes on processing technology and you know affordability of processing technology it's very capital intensive um, so I think that's uh, if you can get him maybe some references to you probably had Corbett on and absolutely yeah. Yeah, Hector, actually, let's catch a call. Let's catch up. Um, I've been traveling a lot. This is something cool. I'll be down in California. We're going to go tour uh, Tom's Cotton Gin. And so I'm excited okay. to go see what he's doing. Um, again, the differences in the different pieces of the industry, it's hard to say, back to Daryl's question in the beginning, what genetic itself is going to benefit the end value or where those are going to tie up. But the difference I appreciate that you guys really highlighted is you know, the certified seed itself is the purity and the you know, stabilization yeah. of the seed. Um, and then when it is performing, you can get, you can expect a consistent yield. Um, right. right. Based right. On it, it's so. uniform and performs consistently year over year. Yeah. And then I do want to call out Daryl because he's accusing us of stepping on the foot soldiers heads. <laughs> Again, this is not a mandate. We're actually offering them a way to get out, you know, have reduced regulation. So um, I, I, I realize, you know, grain and fiber is a little, you know, more open. And we're not saying don't do that. We're just saying, hey, how about we do it with certified seed? Because that's a win for both the regulator as well as the growers. So and I also don't the Hemp Ex Advancement Act of 2022 that's destroying the entire industry. I, I don't know what that is that he's proposing. So um, we need a little more color around that. It's not something we're supporting because you're, obviously I don't know what it is. You're so much faster at reading. I have not caught up on any of the yeah. comments. <laughs> and so I apologize. But um, yeah, I'll be sure to go back through and I can look at them or comment. If you guys have questions, reach out. I do want to give a shout out. There is a certified or close to being certified genetic that is in the South in Texas, MS-77. And yeah, so that MS is, you know, we are seeing more genetics um, become stabilized that are on the fiber and grain side, like you said. But a lot of the focus has been around the cannabinoids and where I've been very fiber focused. I, of uh -huh. course, go back to like, where does this really, and where do we really support the fiber aspect? Yeah, of this? and we and need to breed. We need what? to breed. It takes years. We need no. to breed for adaptation. I mean, everybody wants it now, and it, that's not how plant biology works. So, so the, we're the working thing, on it. The <laughs> one thing we haven't really talked about, even though you, you did ask the question earlier, was just kind of the fiber market. And I think one thing that's, that's worth um, considering, because it's like 
while we're kind of having the Socratic method around the value of the seed versus the fiber and grain exemption, and that's great, right? Because that provokes critical thinking in the industry around what, how, how we move this forward. Mm-hmm. I like to then think about the next thing. So even just if the fiber and grain exemption was to pass, that would not solve the fiber, the, the economics of farming hemp fiber, you know, making that make sense, right? So because fiber is such a volume market and, and the kinds of end use applications that fiber serves are generally high volume, low cost items like bioplastics or animal bedding or paper. So the thing that I think, you know, we're kind of aware of being forward looking as Wendy's talking about, we're going to, we're now getting more sophisticated about fiber that will provide some interesting feedback to the breeders so that they can start breeding for some interesting fiber characteristics and optimizing those varieties the same way that that has happened on, with grain. The thing that kind of worries me is we have to really make sure that people, you know, we have to do the math. We have to have an equation and a model for what kind of yield is going to, is going to pencil. And that, that, ties back to us because seed cost is going to be a reality for fiber seed because the varieties don't produce as much grain. They don't produce as much seed. They're being optimized to grow 20 feet tall and practically never flower. How do you produce seed on something like that economically, right? We can produce seed on grain varieties pretty economically because those varieties, you know, yield a lot of seed, yield a lot of grain. And that's, I think the thing that we probably should, think about a little bit more as an industry is dual purpose, right? So in terms of crossing the chasm and getting to the point of true, true profitability for every stakeholder, dual purpose production might be kind of the ticket to do that here over the next couple of years until we get to the, you know, the millions of acres where then there could be profitability, but I don't personally see any exemption just all of a sudden making the economics of farm, farming hemp fiber work overnight. Matter of opening or lessening burden for farmer, right? On both, I think on both campaigns, it's important that the risk be taken off of, that we don't go through another boom and bust, right? The industry can't afford it. And we as businesses can't afford it. So stabilization, I think is really what it's after. And, and I agree with you. Um, but I do look at the number of materials and products that are made and where demand looks um, at, at fiber, right? The fiber market itself um, and the difference in quality of fiber from a dual purpose compared to a, you know, a single purpose grain and so I, or market. But I, I also don't discredit that for farmers to make good profit, that there is a, a need for dual crop dual purpose right now <laughs> and so this at, at least at least until this situation you know the, the geopolitical kind of things that are going on right now that are driving the price of all the other ag commodities up i mean 2018 you know when the farm bill was legalized you know or, or put into effect ag commodity prices were nearing all-time lows farmers were actively looking for other crops because people were farming to not lose money they weren't farming to make money four years later COVID, war in Ukraine, that has swung as far as it possibly can back in the other direction. No crop insurance or limited crop insurance options. And 
high price of other ag commodities, we really need to be thinking about farmer profitability. And for us, how you balance seed price, which is a factor of a lot of different things that we've covered on, on this talk are all part of the equation that I think Wendy and I are looking at. How do you, how do you not just provide the performance and the pure genetics and the certified seed, but we work both end of the markets. We might be at this end of the supply chain, but as Wendy said, intimately involved with the processors and the end use manufacturers, because ultimately it's that feedback loop that's going to serve to take us from 20,000 acres back up to 500,000. Like we had licensed in 2019, hopefully onward toward a million, but it's, a, it's going to be a lot of collaboration, right. In order to get there. And we're seeing amazing collaboration across the supply chain now. So, and it really, you know, as Eric said, it's not just about seed price, it's about the buy price, right, at the farm gate. So what are, what are those processors paying those farmers for the product as well? And that they've got these incredible capital intensive efforts they've, they've put in too. So it's just the pains of any nascent crop coming to market um, with this extra regulatory piece. So that's why we're proposing. It's an easy win again for both the regulators as well as the farmers um, to be re released from these onerous fees and sampling and testing. How big is the certified seed market right now? Like painting a picture on, you know, if we, if we have a certified seed exemption, who is that servicing as far as certified seed providers in industrial in industrial hemp, for example. And I this is tricky, like cannabinoid production versus the industrial market. Yeah, I, I think with 20,000 acres being grown, it's it's kind of a negligible question. If we were at, you know, 100,000 acres, but that's 20,000 acres total. You know, I know, I know Pan Exchange and Hemp Benchmarks and other groups have put out um, they've gone through those FSA crop reports that were released last month and actually broken that down by category. But so that's, that's not even, you know, fiber and grain is, is lower than that 20,000 acre number. Yeah. So the, the answer is, and I mean, Wendy and I can, you know, both, both speak to this, I think can, candidly, it's not, you know, we're not, we're not responsible for all those acres, right. For of fiber sure. and grain. We're not, we're not seeding all those acres. Right. I think that's a fair, fair characterization, but ultimately our companies can't be successful if this is a 20,000 acre market. You know, I mean, we, we both. Right. Need well, to, this is where to, yeah. it's gotta be a fiber and grain production. We've got to be able to scale yields. Right. And so um, I go back. Yeah. The, the question haunts me, right. Because this is on the processor side. Now we've built up, I've got a map of 20 plus processors that are said to be coming on market, right? Or on online. And it's, do we have the acres to even meet that? Do we have it's, the- it's, gener it's, it's demand generation. It, we've, we've had a lot of things to point to over the years as far as where the, where the problem is, where the, where the choke point is. Right now the choke point is, is there is there enough market demand? How do we go and spur market demand and wider adoption of hemp as a food and feed ingredient and as a renewable material? Because we know it has 25 or 50,000 uses, but show us five that make money. Give us, give us five supply chains right now right. that are a success story from, mm -hmm. from seed to consumer, right? 
right. trying to suss those scale, out is the right? is the work that we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting because at every part there are um, at every part of the market there are pain points, right? You know, if we talk to our our processors, our processors need acres. If we talk to our if our farmers, the farmers need seeds and genetics or less regulation. And each piece, right? The end distribution needs bigger volume at better specs or whatever. Um, anyway, so I really appreciate you guys coming on. I appreciate all of the work that you guys are doing. Anything that I can do to, to support, please let us know. How do people reach out and support? Uh, oh, please say, you know, for the value of the seed, we've got, you know, our website, webpage is newestgenetics.com backslash value the seed. Um, we have letters of support. We talk to legislators and regulators about this. And we also have, by the way, some initiatives to, um, to open hemp markets even more um, with advocacy with legislators um, for this upcoming farm bill. So kind of covering crop insurance, covering, you know, if, uh, infrastructure. So what Hector was speaking to before, um, you know, additional grant dollars, et cetera, going towards um, supporting the hemp industry markets overall. Um, so, you know, just contact me about that. I'm W. Mosher at New West Genetics. Um, always looking to get in front of legislators to talk about getting more money for our industry to expect us to shoulder our own regulation is unconscionable. We should not have to do that. For that. Okay. Well, Wendy, I'll, I'll let you go. We'll sign off. Thanks. Quick. I sorry. That everyone's in a hurry. Yep. Don't be sorry at all. Absolutely. Uh, Eric, do you have anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? Wendy, thank you. Yeah, you can you can reach me at eric at international-hemp.com if you fill out any of the forms on our website or shoot us a message on, on any of our social media pages that will get to me so e easy to find uh hector you're right i'd love to let like I said let's connect you know this is a, another pain point we were just talking about but i want to want you to know i totally hear you um buying seed without processing is not a viable business right? Wanting to grow without getting the processing in place and then no processing this chicken and egg scenario. So um, we'll definitely help. Anyways, thank you very much, Eric, and we'll sign off. Thank you, Mandy. See you later. Take care. Talk about uh, bye -bye.